Okay, so we're in a series called Conversations with Jesus, and what we're going through is the Gospel of Mark, which is one of the accounts of Jesus' life. And the goal of this series is to say, okay, uh, what were the kinds of things that Jesus talked about with people in his comings and goings? What were his conversations like? And uh, obviously they're extremely relatable to us, but when I was when I saw this one, we're talking about tradition today, traditions. And uh, back in the day, the Pharisees, the religious people of the day that Jesus wasn't super happy with, uh, they were extremely traditional. And so when I think traditions, I think of stuff that we don't do. I, I kind of had the assumption that we don't have traditions. We don't have, we're not really very religious people. We don't have things that we do every Sunday in such a way, this and that. Like, we, I, don't, I don't feel like we're all that traditional. But... Uh, as I was thinking and praying about this sermon, uh, depending on how you define a tradition, we actually have tons of them. And so I want to go through what this kind of conversation that Jesus had, what would it look like if he you know, were to walk in this room and, uh, and not be okay with some of our traditions? So what I want to do is I, I want to read Mark 7, uh, verses 1 to 23. And this is a conversation about Jesus confronting the Pharisees on one of their traditions, or actually, rather, it's, it's the Pharisees confronting Jesus on not following one of the traditions, all right? So we're going to read this through, then I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump in. Uh, Mark 7, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. That's my, probably my favorite sentence in the, whole, in the whole thing. You have a fine way of ignoring what I've actually said. So clever. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father and mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. So Jesus is saying, all of your traditions, sometimes they even contradict each other. You guys aren't making any sense, all of your man-centered man traditions. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it, is, for it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Yay, bacon. Uh, he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is written out of a person's heart that evil thoughts 
uh, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, uh, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All this evil comes from inside and defile a person. Father, uh, thank you for your word and for what you said, and uh, we hold it with great reverence. And this morning, I pray that you would help us understand what this has to do with our lives. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would minister to us um, something from your words that would impact us, that would show us more of you, that would reveal more of who you are. And I pray that our hearts would be keen to listen and keen to receive. Uh, This isn't just a story from a long time ago. This isn't just a conversation that was had that's interesting. Uh, But God, your words bring life and nothing that you said was not on purpose. And so we receive what you said today and give us the, the grace to understand it in our time. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question becomes, you know, I don't, I don't, we don't talk a lot about our, you know, food and this and that, and we're not having a lot of conversations in our small groups, I don't think, about can I eat this or can't I eat this? <laughs> this kind of gone are the days, right? So when I, uh, when I was thinking, okay, how are we going to apply this? I don't think we're going to be talking about food all that much. Uh, but it got me thinking, what are the, what, what is a tradition? Like, what really is it? Uh, let's boil it down, because I think that there's something that we can relate to. So, I'll say this, and then um, we'll try to unpack it. Uh, for the Pharisees in that time, traditions were about fulfilling their own agenda. Okay, so they added a whole bunch of stuff to the New Testament, and even the ways they were following things in the Old Testament were really about preserving a lot of agendas that they had personally. It was about remaining separate. It had a lot to do actually with, um, it's called Zionism, but wanting their land back. Uh, They wanted to maintain control. They wanted to maintain power. And by perfecting all of their traditions, they remained elite. They remained in charge. They remained revered. And so there was a lot of traditions that were mostly about having their own personal agenda come to pass. So I was like, okay, hold on. If we're defining traditions as, uh, as maintaining our own agendas by obedience and the things that we do, because, okay, hold on, I can actually relate to that. I have a ton of personal agendas. I have a whole lot of things that I want, I need, I'd love to see happen uh, personally that don't necessarily, there might not be God's agendas. They're just my own. And so I have to look very carefully and go, okay, I think every culture, including our own, has personal agendas that we use traditions, and I'm still keeping using that word, but that we have traditions that maintain those and that keep those things true and they keep them real. And they keep, they keep our own agendas firmly in the crosshair. So it's like, okay, well, then what are those? Let's, let's try and talk about what some of those might be. Uh, first of all, it's probably important to note that um, uh, tradition being an attempt to control or advance our own agenda, what is our agenda? And I, mean, I don't want to speak on behalf of you like entirely, but uh, I think I can generalize pretty well what our culture has an, like what our culture's agenda is. And so I, I think you could probably relate, but for me, it's, it's a lot about safety. It's a lot about comfortability. It's a lot about not having our feathers all that ruffled uh, I want to be comfortable. 
I just do. I don't like being pushed out of my comfort zone. I don't like having to trust other things that I don't understand. I don't like having to follow people that I don't fully know that well. Like there's a, there's a lot of things that I do to maintain the comfortability of my life. And so we look at the Pharisees and go, oh, it's a little silly, guys. Like, you know, you want your land back and, you know, you want your to remain elite and you want to remain in charge. And we kind of go, you know, Pharisees. I'm like, hold on. No, no, no. I have so many things. Comfortability be probably the number one thing. The things that drive a lot of the decisions that I make and actually create a lot of repeated behaviors that ensure my comfortability is intact and my agenda is being advanced. Now, I might do some little things off to the side, but at the end of the day, I'm like, well, if I can't fully understand how this is going to promote my personal well-being as I've defined it, ooh, we question those things, don't we? So I think we have tons of traditions. I want to kind of unpack a few of my favorites <laughs> that I have. So what are, the, what are the traditions that then, that we would maybe use in our culture, that we attempt, to, we attempt to control God with them, we attempt to advance our own agenda with them, and I want to put a, a few of my a favorites up. Firstly, it's just understanding. I don't do things that I don't understand. I have a tradition of needing to understand everything before I do it. I got to know how it benefits me. I got to know who said it and why. I got to Google it. I got to make sure, like, it's just all clean and clear going, okay, I get it. Fine. You've convinced me. I used to do this uh, um, all the time when it came to, um, oh, back when I was, like, at Langara. Uh, my favorite thing to do for being, like, disobedient and never sharing my faith or doing uncomfortable things was I would have to, I would go to all the trainings for all the, you know, outreach stuff, and I'd, I'd learn how to get trained, and I don't know who was back in the day, maybe Mark Van Vliet, you might have been the uh, campus, campus guy back then, and we'd go to the trainings, and then all I'd have to do is just poke a hole in how I didn't understand how it would work, and then I was like, oh, I'm off the hook, because I don't, I have this tradition where I, I don't do things I don't understand, <laughs> and so I would just poke holes in stuff, because for sure you can, and you never understand everything. And I'm like, oh, sorry, that doesn't fit inside my tradition of fully grasping everything I do. So there's a good one. Um, bargaining is a really great tradition that we have. And what I mean by that is uh, I'll do something, but I got to understand how, like, it benefits me. Do you know what I mean? Don't we do this with God all the time? Like, I'll serve, or I'll give, or I'll, I'll, I'll do the gospel metric kind of stuff. But... I'm going to need like something in return, right? This whole freely giving, freely receiving thing, that takes quite a bit of trust. So uh, if there's, maybe I could hear a few testimonies of how someone, when they like tithed, they were blessed. Or maybe if I could hear some testimonies about when they stepped out in faith, then I'd also look amazing or all these other things. We bargain with God. That's what, I use that tradition all the time. I want to know how, you know. If you ask me to do something, tell me how this is going to benefit me, and we'll give and take with God, and go, okay, well, I'll give you some, and you give me some, and I just feel like that's not a relationship at all. It's some kind of business. We talked about this in our last series. Oh, another good tradition, risk. What did I call it up here? Do the, do the next one. Yeah, risk mitigation. I love, I have this beautiful tradition of everything that I do has as little risk attached to it as possible. There's kind of a theme developing about not, you know, having to understand anything. But I like to use this term too of, oh, how risky is it? And what can I do to make sure that there's as little risk as possible? 
because my personal agenda is comfortability. Remember, that's my bullseye. That's my personal agenda. So riskiness doesn't, that's a tradition that really helps me with my agenda, making sure there's no risk involved. And the last one, my personal favorite, actually, I think, is, is I got to feel it. You know what I'm saying? If I don't, if it doesn't just resonate in the core of my being, whatever that means, <laughs> I don't do stuff. Because, I don't know, I got to have warm, tingly feelings, and, you know, I don't know what it is. You just got to, it's got to feel great. And I think it's a tradition of ours, don't you? I think we have a tradition of needing to feel things before we do stuff, or it's not true unless we felt it, or, right? Because we have a personal agenda of comfortability, and it feels good to feel good. And we just, ah, it's amazing how uh, all these tricky things that we do. So here's kind of a freaky thing. As I was kind of boiling down this uh, list, uh, I realized that this can be, I don't want to be cynical here, but this can be a definition of, of church. So put that little thing up. Is church? <laughs> so think about it. Start to unpack this. Because there's a, we can do, we can, all this stuff fits inside church. I'm going to keep putting church in quotes because I think if we really truly define church, it's much more beautiful and deep than this. But I'm using the term church in a more of a, you know, oh, actually a fun term that I use with all my youth pastor friends a lot when we don't, we don't mean the most beautiful family part of church. We mean like the corporate buy-in part of church, you know? We use the term churchianity, which I just think is great. Feel free to use that. Where we just begin to, we just begin to like be about our traditions, actually. I should have probably just put churchianity. Where we can create systems that all of these things, like all these traditions fully fit inside our churchianity. And it kind of started to freak me out a little bit. So I was like, I, I, I need to understand, like, oh man, how do I unpack this? Um, I can make the bullseye of church needing to understand. Right? And next week, you're going to really get it. <laughs> Next week, the sermon's going to be twice as good as this one, and it's all going to just bing, you know, like, and we can even conduct the leadership of the church going, oh, yeah, right, we got to make sure that we figure that one out, and oh, yeah, we haven't been to the Old Testament in a while, and you know, like, you can, we can do that. We can make understanding a tradition that we fulfill in churchianity. Bargaining, you know, give and take. We do this a lot accidentally. I serve, and then I coast, and then I serve, and then I coast, you know? And we don't want to work too hard, and, and we want to be responsible. And there's obviously a lot of wisdom in those things. But there's kind of a nuance between giving and receiving love, which is beautiful, that's a relationship, and then bargaining, you know? Like making sure that you're getting something out of this, right? Risk analysis, this is, this is a big one we can do inside church. It's like, well, how, you know, how risky is it? Can you convince me that I don't have that much to lose? <laughs> that fits. Feeling it's huge. I mean, how do we, how do we have like, actual feelings that are really real? Because for sure God is affecting the way that you feel, and because he's alive and he's living in you. Feelings aren't bad. But how do we not make needing them a tradition? So, all of this stuff is, the freakiest part about it, is it can all look super godly. Like, it can all look totally fine. Uh, I, I'm really good at this. 
I'm really good at it. I can make my tradition of needing to be understood seem so eloquent. Like, I just want to be in the word, you know? That's what I'll probably say. <laughs> Sorry, not to be cynical, but like, that's like the easiest way out ever. You just go, well, let's, you know, let's see what the Greek says or something. And I'm like, wait, no, my heart is just advancing its own agenda. I don't need to, I'm just, I don't, my heart is on trial. I'm just running. Now, of course, going to the Word is an amazing thing to do, and let's do that. We're doing it today. But how does it not become a tradition to advance our own agenda? That's tricky. So, yeah, um, I just love what Jesus says in this passage. You have a fine way of ignoring the commands of God, don't we? Such a fine way. Because I can make all this stuff look smart and wise even, actually. Oof, freaks me out. So, churchianity has no guarantee of requiring the gospel. It has no guarantee. You don't need to follow the commands of God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Consider others better than yourself. Take up your cross. Love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Put him first. No other gods before me. You don't need any of that stuff for your own traditions. In fact, don't use them. They don't work. Because God has an agenda that's a lot different than yours. It's way better. He still has you in mind but it requires something else in between. We'll get there in a second. So I love that in this kind of like, uh, in this story, Jesus interrupts the churchianity service kind of in a way. You know what I'm saying? All these guys are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're supposed to wash your hands. Like, don't you, this, is, this is how this works. And if you're doing stuff that doesn't require hand washing, that freaks me out because it doesn't fit into what I need you guys to do to make sure that I'm in charge because I'm always going to be better at washing my hands than you. <laughs> and there's just this whole other game going on in this conversation. And Jesus is like, you worship me in vain. He's so frustrated. What does he say? He's just very, very forthcoming. These people honor with, he's just quoting Isaiah, but these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Like he's just going, I see what you're doing. I see your little pious game of looking godly, but your hearts are far from me. He interrupts the service in a way. Um, I have an example of, of, of this uh, that kind of has to do with um, uh, youth ministry. Um, and so sorry to use, sorry to use youth ministry in, in Vancouver as an example, but I'm going to try and relate it in a second. But it just, this is how I learned this lesson, okay? So try and stay with me. Is, um, it's very easy in ministry to fall into all sorts of traditions. Actually, in youth ministry, it's all heightened because kids aren't that smart. And so you can just do a bunch of stuff and they're never going to ask you why or like they believe everything you say. So uh, you can create traditions and churchianity and youth ministry really easy. Um, yeah, nobody's, yeah, they're learning, so it's, they just believe you. It's a scary thing. So I, uh, a bunch of years ago, and many of you know this, this story, so I'll paraphrase it, but five years ago, oh, how do I just cold notes version this? Um, started to have a bunch of coffees with youth pastors all over the city because God was doing cool things, okay? So I, I probably had coffee with upwards of 200 youth pastors in the course of like 
two years. So I had a, kind of had my finger on the pulse of what's going on in youth ministry, at least in Metro Vancouver. Like I had a pretty good idea. We were having really real conversations. And I'll tell you about what bubbled up out, about, out of all those conversations is uh, um, everyone's kind of looking at the data and the research and it's, 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 a, it's a sobering, the numbers of the students who um, don't follow Jesus a few years later after going through a great youth group. It's like, it's like three quarters of students, on average, don't follow Jesus four years later. Some of them come back, you know, when they have kids, when they're 32 or something. But like, there's this huge drop off at like 20. And so we're all realizing that I don't think my youth group is all that different from the ones that were being measured in this study. Like we're all having these kind of, it's like, is, is the way that I do youth ministry contributing to this number? And then we all realize that we're really bad at helping our students follow Jesus in everyday life, like in any way. So we try to have a plan in our church of that for you. We have D groups and communities and things that aren't in this room because it's important that we don't just sit and listen. Like it has to have implications and it has to have, it has to matter in everyday life because he's there too, arguably even more because you've got to trust him more out there. And uh, so we realized that in youth ministry, students had no context of following Jesus every day. Like the gospel didn't, wasn't required in everyday life. Their high schools, they were all felt alone. And then we started to talk to each other and realized that we had tons of students in a given school. And as soon as we, we just started talking to each other, we're like, hold on, there's like 25 Christians at this school that don't know each other exist. This is insane. How are we not helping them pray or something, anything, anything in the real world? Pick up garbage in Jesus' name. I don't care. But just do something in real life because real life's coming when you're 18 and uh, you, let's help them fail, like, in the real world, and then just be there and catch them. That'd be beautiful. That'd be a huge step ahead. So we started talking, and this is what was bubbling up in all of these conversations. And when the penny really dropped in our hearts, the thing that scared us the most was that uh, nobody was upset. Wow. Like, nobody, nobody was going, that's not okay. And we started having coffee and we're like, is it us? Like, is it us? Do we have to change this? Because if I want to keep my job as a youth pastor, this is not me personally speaking, um, but if I want to keep my job as a youth pastor, you just do the traditions. Like, you just advance the agenda of what the churchianity church needs you to do, which is, I get it, I'm being a little cynical, okay? Forgive me, I love the church. But the system is such that a youth pastor is hired to make sure that all the Christian kids stay out of trouble, and, uh, you know, groom them and do a lot of amazing things. But a youth pastor's check is written by a whole bunch of parents sitting in church and going, hey, if my kids don't enjoy a youth group, what are we paying you for? And so youth pastors go, oh, shoot, I don't have a job unless I'm meeting those needs and making sure those traditions are accomplished. And we get boxed into this little thing, going, oh, no, what are we going to do? How are we going to bust out of this? So we're talking to each other, and... And then uh, it began to freak us out going, I think it's not okay that everything's okay. Like, have you seen the numbers? <laughs> like, they're really bad. And I guess we're going to have to do something about that now. So you know, we're in the middle of trying to figure that out. I have no idea how to do it yet. But it's becoming a problem to us that the traditions aren't working. 
that the traditions we have in at least youth ministry are uh, not making disciples all that well. I'm, I'm painting with super broad strokes here this morning, of course, okay? And there's a hundred examples of how this is different, and I'm glad. But as a whole, it began to freak us out. So let's boil this down to our church a little bit. Um, uh, so the point, of, the point of me sharing that story, just so you know, is that the traditions weren't working, and uh, what we're trying to create is a culture amongst all of us as youth pastors where we're holding each other accountable to God's agenda for these kids. Does that make sense? We want the Holy Spirit's agenda for them, and sometimes in, its, in stark contrast to what our agenda is, which is sometimes keeping our jobs. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's the lesson. Now let's boil it down to us here at ENV. Uh, this is a fun conversation. This is, this is vulnerable, but I think it makes a point. And we are talking about traditions, so we've got to be real today. Um, uh, get to have coffee with lots of you, especially the young adults. And some, sometimes one of the things that we hear back, we have, how's church going? How's your spiritual family? How do you belong here? How can we help you? How's it going with God? Like we have all those kind of conversations. And uh, a piece of feedback that I often get about our church is... Um, uh, People will say, I feel pressure to do things that are like outward. Like I feel pressure when I'm around this community to do outreach or to start something or to be a leader or to, I don't know, join the program, right? And, and, and they describe a, we describe this, I feel it too, we describe this pressure going, ah, oh, I just feel a pressure when I'm around this church. And so first, my first question I always ask is, did anybody tell you that if you didn't do X, Y, and Z, you're less of a person. Like, did anybody tell you that if you don't do a, whatever we call the thing, that now you're less of a family member? Did anybody tell you that? Like, did anyone go, you are not as much of a family member as everybody else because you didn't do X, Y, and Z? Because if someone told you that, I want their names and we're going out for coffee because we're going to have to explain what grace is and how you've, you know, like, we're family and it's not about your output and, like, I want that person's name because we're going to bite that in the butt immediately because that's called abusive pressure and manipulating people with shame into doing what we want. Like, that's the worst thing of all time. But most of the time, we can't point the finger at who's applying the pressure to that in our life. It's like something about who we are. There is no actual who, hopefully, saying, you got to do this or else. So then where does that, what is that pressure? Where does it come from? What is that? Um, I love the fact, I'm going to say a whole bunch of controversial things. I love the fact that that pressure exists inside our community. I'll use an uglier word. I'll use an even uglier one. We have expectations of you. Oof. Expectations. Okay, so what are we going to do with that? I, I, yeah, no, I for sure do. I expect us all to obey the commands of God. And I'm not going to apologize for that. <laughs> for sure. And so it would be super easy to get rid of all that pressure. You know what all those pressure, you know how you get rid of all the pressure? Traditions. You just go, we have an agenda of our own comfortability and fitting God into our box to make sure that he benefits me and that it doesn't cost me all that much. And so you know what? I'm looking for a church that's actually a tradition that advances my agenda. And I don't want one of those. I don't want to be part of one of those. Because the tension that 
expectation and following the commands of God forces us to do is we can't afford traditions. We can't afford things that just appease our own agendas as the first priority. It doesn't work. Like it, you, you start to feel like, oh, I don't, it doesn't work here. Like I can't have my own because other people want me to do their thing and it's, I don't like that. And it's awesome. I love it. It's like the, it's the, it's the playing field that is our big gift to you called your agenda is now subservient to another one. You're welcome. And it feels really, I don't like it. But I don't want to get rid of that pressure even though I wake up every day going, man, I wish we could just do church, you know? Can't we just do church? And I'll spend all my time making the band even better, you know? And it's just, I can't, guys. I just can't. Because I think that, uh, I think we want to make disciples who make disciples because it's God's agenda and we're going to need his spirit and we can't afford our own agendas because this is better than ours. We're going to get there in a minute. So that pressure, I know it's such an ugly word, right? But that pressure, I don't want to get rid of it. And whenever I hear someone say that, I'm like, okay, well, assuming that someone didn't tell you you were less if you're not accomplishing something, I love that because it's like, oh, good, traditions aren't going to work for you. Jesus will. So kind of here's the, here's the thing is God wants control. Traditions are an attempt to keep our control and we make it look nice so that nobody really questions us. But at the end of the day, we're trying to maintain control with the things that we build into our little church world. So the fact is, guys, is what, 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 what God usually commands us to do is out of our control. It just is. Because love is. Like love is out of control. It, it's the most beautiful thing about it is that you can't control it. Like it's a gift from someone else you can't control. And then you get to give it back. And you can't protect your, like it's, it's the most beautiful and risky thing ever is to go, yeah, you now have control. Like it's a marriage. I'm like giving this to you. Like it's a big deal to be out of control, to let somebody love you and to trust them. And, uh, but I think that's what we're hoping for from God. I don't, I hope we're not just doing what the Pharisees did of using human rules to advance their own things that they wanted. I hope we're after the heart of God, which is what Jesus is so brokenhearted about in this passage. So uh, there's a great story that, that you told me once, Dad, about doing a seminar at, uh, like a dating seminar on a college campus. So I'll paraphrase the story. Is uh, Sometimes we'll do seminars on campuses about dating or whatever and, and about you know, what would the Bible say about that. And one of the questions that always comes up at the end of these things, or usually anyway, is, um, you know, why do I, talking about marriage, like, why do I need a piece of paper to prove that, you know, why we love this, that I love this person? Like, what's the, what's the piece of paper have to do with anything? Like, I don't need a piece of paper, like a marriage certificate. I don't need a piece of, pe piece of paper to tell me that I now can love this person. Like, we love each other already. And I love your, that your response to this has always been, well, then just get the piece of paper if it doesn't matter. And then their response is always, whoa, whoa, I'm not ready for that. Like, whoa. I'm like, well, then it does matter. <laughs> it, it is a thing. You got to commit to somebody. It's a scary thing to go, well, you can destroy me now. If we, you know, I just gave you permission to really hurt me. Uh, it's, a, it's a thing. The piece of paper is a thing. We know that. So God wants that. He wants a covenant relationship where he's in control because he wants a relationship with you. It's all quite obvious. <clears throat> so 
And the question then becomes is, uh, you know, why does he want control? And this is where we'll land the plane. What is his agenda? Okay, if we're going to give up all these traditions that we really love and that really make sense and that we can sneak past everybody around us if we try hard enough, uh, if we give those up, what are we gaining? Like, what are we gaining if we're actually going, hey, I want your agenda for my life? What, what happens? What's, what is his agenda? Uh, the first one is, um, you can put it up there. It's, uh, it's, yeah, I said washed in my notes, but he gives you a new spirit. It's a new heart and soul. This is his agenda for you, is to wash you clean. Let's read uh, the 20, uh, verse 21 to 23 again from the passage we read. For it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexuality, sexual immorality, theft, and then the list. It's your heart that's the problem. And it's out of that that all the evil and the malice comes. So I want to give you a new one. That's my agenda for you, is to take out your heart of stone and put a heart of flesh in you. Uh, and it's amazing how much we resist this. It just with our own means. But then I look and God goes, um, let's read uh, Romans, where it talks about the Spirit. It was Romans 8. Uh, I'm going to read 10 to, 10, to, 10 to 13. It says this, But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Kind of sounds like a tradition, right? We have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And it's Jesus going, okay, here's your new heart. This is my agenda for you. Would you like it? I'm going to pay the whole price and just accept it and receive it as a gift, your new spirit. What an amazing agenda that he has for us. Secondly, if we keep reading in Romans, his next agenda is adopting us into a family. It's adoption. Romans 8, 14 to 16, let's just keep reading. For those who are led by the spirit, for those who have this new heart, um, are... Uh, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And so all that we're looking for in our traditions, which really are, I want to feel... I want to feel, you know, I said it earlier as I want to feel comfortable and safe and protected and, you know, like I'm worth something. You know, we have all these bullseyes. And God has the same one. He's like, I want you to be eternally secure, loved. I want you to be eternally significant. I've given you the most important job description that could ever be given anybody. I actually have the same agenda for you, and I want you to be adopted into this family that walks with you and keeps this tension alive in your heart that needs me, and you're my child, and I love you, and it's just all there. His agenda for you is not to use you. His agenda is to set you free, as we just sang about earlier. So then finally, um, his third agenda, 
that is such a thing, such a terrible word to use, but it's to love you. Like in its fullest form, in ways that no human can. And when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, man, the traditions that I put and the, God, the, the box that I put God in so often, it mostly just robs me of my ability to see how much he loves me. So I want, I'll share with you a fresh story from this week. Uh, I asked permission to share it just because it's really real. And as I was writing this, I'm like, oh, we got to talk about this. So we have a, uh, a family in our church, um, uh, Leanne, who's here somewhere today. Are you in the room? Hi. And so uh, Leanne has done a bunch of foster care for a long time, and, and uh, you, she, she shared about that a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a few months ago now, about how she's done this a lot. And so um, she has a foster son, and when she goes out of town to Texas, uh, Tyler and I jump in as the respite care for, for her when she goes. And so we check in on her son and how he's doing. And so that was this last week, and we had a rough week. We had a real rough week. I won't get into the details of it. It's not for me to share, but, you know, we ended up in the hospital a few times. And uh, it was really heavy. And uh, you see, man, I just care about this kid. We've known him since he was a baby. And you see uh, the traditions that people can create for themselves to try and meet their own needs. And you're looking, you're going, oh, it's not going to work. And I don't know how to convince you that these traditions of meeting your own needs in your own way just aren't going to work. And there was a beautiful moment that happened um, this last week that I wanted to share with you. And it's just going to be me bragging on Leanne again, as you tend to do. But uh, we... Um, uh, so, you know, we go through a lot of process. And at the end, Malachi decides that he wants to have some help was amazing. It was a beautiful moment. He wants to have some help. It was, oh, it was really cool. And then I'm just sitting with him, you know, after he did, makes that decision to get some help, which is a big deal already. It's a big, big deal. And then he's sitting there and there's te tears rolling down his face, just like tears just streaming down his face because he realized what he'd done, saying he wants help. It has implications. And then I'm like, oh no, he's, reg he's regretting it. He's regretting giving up control. He's regretting it. Shoot, and I want to rescue the moment. And so I said, what? What's going on in your heart, bud? What's going on in your heart? <laughs> I don't think I'll forget. I don't think I'll forget this for, like, the rest of my life. But he's like, I miss my mom. <laughs> I just was, like, a, there's, a, there's a thing that happens in your heart. when it's like, your heart turns upside down and you go, I... My agenda's not going to work, and I need help. And then the immediate, the immediate thing that rushes in is the Holy Spirit's hope for your life, which is you are loved and missed and adopted and new and clean, and oh, I just want to trust him. And so we call up Leanne, put him on speakerphone, put it on his chest, and we talked about Texas. And, you know, you're on the other side of the phone. And Leanne's just talking. Hey, bud. How you doing? And he's just going, good. And tears, she's not telling, he's not saying anything. He just wants to hear her voice. It's so obvious. That's all he wants to hear is her voice. And uh, so that's just, I'm sorry, that's just a really fresh thing. But I was praying about it, and I just felt as though it was okay to share this with you. We can be praying for him. 
is a member of our family, someone we love deeply. And this is what we're about, is taking care of these sorts of people and believing the best about them and going, nope, we're not just going to do church. We're not just going to do church because it doesn't accomplish anything. It's love and it's, and it's the Holy Spirit making us new. It's his agenda. And so uh, my prayer for you this morning is, um, are there, uh, the question I would ask you then is, are there traditions in your life that are a replacement for, for trust, you know? I was, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys remember that movie, Jerry Maguire, but um, Jerry Maguire, he gets fired because he freaks out in the, he freaks out in, in, the, in the workplace, and he has, there's this great scene where he's leaving, and he has his box, you know, and he's walking out with his box, and he puts his box down, and he's just like, I know what you guys are all worried about, that I'm just going to freak out, you know, and he does this really great thing, um, and he kind of just does this great move, but uh, I, I, what I love about that is, uh, as I was chatting with dad about this sermon, I realized that there'd be a lot of ways we could just smash down the traditions of our church, you know? And we, we, really, we realized there's like 20 biblical things I could do right now that would freak you all out. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like we could, I could just start yelling in tongues and ask Janice to, to interpret it and that would be okay technically <laughs> speaking. Uh, there's just so many things we could do that are just like that, whoa, 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 whoa. That does not fit inside my, you know, so we're obviously not going to do that. But it's amazing how easy, if you really stop and think, which I've had to this week, I'm like, where am I not trusting God? Like, would I not go to the side for prayer? Would I not, I don't know, arbitrary things? Like, would I not raise my hands in submission and worship? Would I not pray for the person next to me? What, what is a step in your life going, okay, I know that your agenda, Holy Spirit, is for love and adoption and acceptance, and how can I participate in that? How can I surrender control to you? And would you show me the things that are mitigating that? Because I don't want to build my own kingdom, and I know my agenda isn't as great as yours is, and I know that I don't have the power to fulfill it on my own. So, Father, show me. Show me what they are. So I'll invite the worship team up, and uh, I just want to pray for us in this regard. Uh, Father, uh, we, uh, we, just, we trust you this morning. And when I think about your word and what this passage says and your, your desperate attempts to get across to us that our human traditions can't accomplish all that much, thank you for that. Thank you for this conversation that you had. And Father, I pray that you would continue that conversation in our hearts right now. Would you show us the human things that we do that limit you? Would you show us the things that are just about advancing our own idea of what we would want for our life? We don't know. We don't know enough. And would you give us the faith to see you through this stuff? Because, Father, you just love us so much. You love us so much. So we choose to trust you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Jonathan. Matt, you can come up. But uh, I just need to say something. I, I'm listening, Jonathan, amazing. And I'm listening, and uh, I think that you all know that you can just go online right now and you can hear a thousand amazing sermons, right? It's just not hard. It's a click away that you can hear the best in the world speaking. But there's, there's two things that you won't hear online. Uh, you won't hear a personal message to you. This wasn't, uh, this wasn't some 
Bible exposition that's going to go online for the masses. This is someone communicating to you the heart of God. Isn't that incredible? That God's heart has been communicated to you because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. It's personal. And the other thing that something online won't give you, although listen to them, they're great, but you won't have to surrender any control uh, because it's just all about you sifting through what you think should be applied to you. And it's just all fine. And yeah, I like that part, didn't like that part. But there's nobody externally shaking up your traditions and expectations. The beautiful thing about being a church family is that we're in this together, figuring out how to have a dynamic, real, surrendered relationship with God. And could we please receive this moment as being holy? Receive it as being a holy moment that God wants to personally meet us in this place and move us out of our traditions and agendas towards His.